Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Now let me introduce today our speaker for the morning, Christine Kress is coming. She is uh, on staff part-time with us working with, uh, come on Christine, working with um, Assimilation. Uh, But uh, I'm going to give a little preview to the message in this. Listen to not only what she says, but listen to what she went through, because today's message is as much about the process that we can learn from and grow from as it is about what she says today. So thank you. Don't you just love our pastor? He's so great. I don't tell him that. I don't want him to get in a big head. No, I'm just kidding. We don't tell him enough what a great job he does. So Pastor Ross, thank you for your vision for this church, really. And unfortunately, Wendy is out on the walk as well. But if she was here, and I should have done this the first service, she could have heard it. But uh, behind every good leader is a good woman telling them how to do it. So we thank you, Wendy, that you know what you're doing too. (laughs) I was sharing with the first service. What other place can you go to that offers you a hayride, a romantic dessert for two, uh, and, and free Medicare prescriptions? What other place offers that? I mean, really, this is a fabulous place. I love this place. So how it came to be that I am here today instead of Ross is a couple of weeks ago, he came up to me and asked if I would share as a newcomer to Quest, um, if I could share some things. And let me clarify why I'm a newcomer. I'm actually Canadian. eh? And uh, as of Wednesday, I will be here for one whole year in the United States. Thank you very much. Soon they'll let me know if I can stay. And so I'm quite excited because Ross came and asked me to share what, what I've seen when I came to Quest from being an outsider from another country, no less. Um, but also what I felt that the, the Lord was saying about Quest and where it could be going. And I got really excited about that because there's nothing I love more than getting in the face of God and asking him questions and then listening to what he has to say. So um, each day for a week, for over a week, I headed out to little quiet times with the Lord, little snippets here and there, seeking his face with 15 questions that I thought were valid enough for God to answer. So I would keep asking these questions, and then I would wait about 15 minutes. And if he didn't answer, I'd ask him the questions all over again just in case he didn't hear me. So then I would ask him with a little more fervency, Lord, did you hear me this time? And uh, still nothing. I mean, I get little snips here and there, but certainly nothing that would come up here and be able to share with you anything. Uh, It was actually more personal words that I got for individuals. So now time is running out. In five days, I'm sitting in the hot seat, and I have nothing to say. So I start to panic. And uh, some of my best prayer closets are hidden trails in the forest. I'm a bush girl. The further out in the bush I am, the happier I am. I think it's because when I get out there and I take a look around and I see the trees growing and the flowers growing and the grass and everything else, the birds are doing fine, and they're all doing fine without my help. So that reminds me that it's okay for me to just be me because God's got everything else under control. So I can just stop and be. So I get out to my prayer closet, and I'm trying so hard to hear. But to be honest, there's so much stuff going on inside my head of what was going on during the week and what's coming next week and everything else. Outside may have been quiet, but inside here I couldn't shut up long enough to hear the Lord say anything. 
So I got a little frustrated and went home. However, the second day, I drive back to my little forest. And before I get out of the vehicle, I said, you know what, Lord, I'm just here today to seek your face. If you don't say a thing to me, that's okay. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to soak in you. And it was really something because I got out of the truck and I started walking. I wasn't on that trail five minutes. He starts talking. And the funny thing was, is the first thing he did was he asked me a question. He said, Christina, how do you feel about people in your life that are so often critical of everything that you do? What you do, how you do it, when you do it. And I answered, those people drive me crazy. Am I the only person who knows these kind of people? No matter how good you do it, they could have done it better. They could have done it quicker. They would have done it a different way that would have been far more effective and less, you know, more cost efficient. They would have done something better than what you did. And uh, so his next question to me was, how does that make you feel towards that person? And immediately, I live by three rules. Actually, I got a lot of different things, but these three guidelines that I go by. And the first one is spend most of your time with people that celebrate you. You don't need to be around people that just suck the life out of you and think that it's up to you to save them. You need people that celebrate you and not tear you down. The second one is if you smile a lot, all your wrinkles will be in the right place. I smile a lot. <laughs> the second one, or sorry, the third one is, is don't make allies with people that really don't care anything about you, but that will come to your funeral because they can get a free egg salad sandwich. Don't waste your time with those people. There's users and abusers in this world, and the Lord shows you who they are. And unless he's given you a divine appointment to, to be with them, stay away. So I'm thinking of all of this while he's asking me this question. So he says, how does it make you feel when you're around those people? And I said, to be honest, all I want to do is run. I don't want to be anywhere near them. I can be hard on enough on myself. I don't need somebody else coming along telling me how much I've screwed something up according to their point of view. And... Uh, to be honest, it's not a true friendship. If you have somebody who's constantly criticizing everything you do, really, how is that a friendship? Because to me, a friendship is something that builds you up, not tears you down. And then there was this long, deafening silence, as if God's sitting there waiting for me to get it. And I'm waiting. And then I finally get it. How often do we treat the creator of heaven and earth like that person, like the critical person? When we're not complaining about the way something is going, we're complaining about his timing. What's taking you so long, Lord? Why haven't you answered me yet? Where are you? How come you're doing it that way? Why did you bring that person? Why can't I be this? Why did you give them that gift? I wanted that gift. And we constantly complain to God. And before those words even have time to cool, we turn around with the other hand and we say, but God, can I have... Am I the only one here guilty of that? Somehow I don't think so. <laughs> I was humbled on the trail whenever he showed me that about myself. And so many times um, I've treated God that way. And it seems the longer that I go without sitting in his presence, the longer I go without being in his word, the longer I go without appreciating him, the more and more I treat him like this whipping post. Like he's my complaint department, and that's what he's there for. I'm having a bad day, I can complain to God. And, and that's true. God wants you to share everything. But he also wants you to share the goodness. He also wants you to share the joy and the gratitude. So now I could have just called it quits and headed home. Hung my head in shame and went, you know what? God really tuned me in today. 
But I want to share something with you today that he's taught me in my past. Times when God corrects you or brings around an awareness that you're off base somewhere or off track somewhere, he does it not to condemn you, but to show you that there's been a break in our relationship here and I want a fellowship with my children, but I can't if they're wandering off here doing the things that I've asked them not to do or that they know they're not supposed to do. I want to call them back home so that we can come back in fellowship together. He misses us when we wander away. Isn't that wonderful? God Almighty misses us when we wander off, so much so that he keeps calling us back. So I admitted my wrong without excuse. And this is key here. Whenever you're admitting and confessing, Lord, you know what? I really blew it. I had a bad attitude. I shouldn't have said the things I said. I shouldn't have done the things I'd done. Stop right there. Don't carry on with, but did you see what they said to me? Because that's really not an apology. That's just yet another excuse that's dressed up frilly to be an apology. So just confess. You know what, Lord? I really blew it. I really blew it. And then whenever you come and you repent your heart, I had to repent for my heart's motive because as time got closer, I stopped seeking him to find a word for the children of Quest, for the heart of Quest, and I started focusing more on me of going, well, Lord, it's five days before I'm sitting there and I've got nothing to tell him and I don't want to look like an idiot. So my heart motive actually switched. And although it's very normal, it's also very wrong. So I had to repent of my heart motive. And then I asked for his forgiveness. And then by faith, I received it and carried on. And that's what you need to do. You need to receive his forgiveness by faith. If you're waiting for an epiphany, bolts of lightning, showers of petals from heaven, you're wasting your time. Receive it by faith. So I admitted it. I confessed it. I received his forgiveness. And now we're ready to move on. Each time the Lord gave the Israelites victory over something in scripture, we'll read time and time again, the Lord said, I want you to build an altar to me so that each time you pass by these stones and each time you bring your family past these stones, you're reminded of my faithfulness to you in that situation. And the Lord brought that back to me during this walk. And so for the next two hours, I sat at the base of a tree and I walked through my memorial garden with him in my mind. I remember the Lord back whenever this was going on in my life at this time and you were faithful and you brought me through. I remember whenever I was sitting and I didn't have any idea what to do, no finances, no, no peace, no nothing. You showed me what to do. You brought help. There were times I had Mother Hubbard's cupboard. There was nothing left. And the Lord had some stranger knock at the door with three bags of groceries going, you know, we were having a picnic in your area and we have too much food left over and we won't want to take it home. Do you want it? A stranger. Now, what's even more interesting is where I was when this stranger approached me. I was in the mountains of Tennessee in a retreat center called Wafloy Retreat, which is 100 acres out in the bush. That's where I go. And my cabin, there's, I think, 18 cabins in this area. My cabin was three miles off the main road. And somehow she found me. God will meet your needs. He will meet your needs. So when you cry out as well. So now I could have just called a quits, but I said, no, okay, Lord, you've taught me how to do this. I've walked through my memorial garden of remembering your times of faithfulness to me. 
And you know, when I left that day, I still didn't have one question answered. Not one of them. But I left there that day coming away with a peace and an inner joy that just filled me to overflow. It's that point where a stranger could be walking on the street and you just want to give them a big hug because your heart is so overflowing that you just want to pass it on to them. And I remember the Lord saying to me during that time, Oh, Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. Your sister Mary has done better. She sat at my feet and just sat in my presence. She rested. And that's what happened that day. And sometimes we let the craziness and the chaos of our lives just take over everything, and it just pushes God out. There's no room for him. You know, our schedules, we book everything so tight that even if something um, extremely important comes in, we're trying to figure out, now where am I going to squeeze that in? We lie down in bed, and even our minds don't stop thinking. They're constantly going, going, going. And God is somewhere pushed off to the side. And it's interesting because Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God lives with inside of us if you're a child of God. And yet it's like he has to scream at us to get our attention. And he's right here, six inches from our head, and he has to scream at us to get our attention. I was telling the first service, I said, for any parents of teenage children, they understand this completely. Their teenage child is sitting three feet away from them. Bob, 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 Bob! Hi, how are you? You know, we have to scream to get each other's attention sometimes. And some may be wondering, does God speak to everyone? And I'm excited to tell you, yes, he does. The interesting thing is some people have just never learned how to listen. And there's many ways. I mean, God is so creative. Look at our world. You look around and all the beauty and all the creativity. He's got so many different ways to communicate with us. The number one way is through his word because that's who he is. Uh, Another way is through music, through our worship. There's some times when I'm so broken that I can't even find words to describe to God how broken I am. And yet, I'll put in a worship CD, and I can say it to him through their words. Does that make sense? You cry out to him. Uh, and the things that he can use. He can use family. He can use friends. He can use strangers. And my favorite, he uses people you may not even like. There's nothing more humbling than having somebody that you're just not all that groovy with come up to you, and they have the golden nugget that you've been waiting for. And you humble yourself and you say, thank you. And you receive it. The key is, are you listening? And that's what today is all about. Ross asked me to come and listen and bring back from the Father's heart what I thought the Father was saying. And that's what all this is about. He's written you a love letter today, specifically for you. The next day I came back and I sat at his feet, in a different place even. And I'm waiting, and still nothing was coming. And then suddenly this thought came to me of, what if I'm asking God all the wrong questions? I had my own agenda set up. What if God has his agenda that he wants to fill in? So I went to him and I asked him, Papa, what do you want to talk about? And I waited, and he began to speak. He said, uh, another thing, there's going to be a lot of scriptures with this because um, I believe that if you're hearing the Spirit, it needs to be confirmed with the Word. Scripture tells you, you know, test the spirits and see if they're true. So don't worry about writing down any scriptures. We'll put everything on the city. And if you have any 
any further questions, you can just get a hold of me and I'll go over it with you. So I said, Papa, what do you want to talk about? And the first thing he said is I want to talk about love and the importance of its meaning. That there is not one thing in this world that will effectively change without love. If you remember the 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it starts with love is patient, love is kind. He's explaining what love is. And he ends with, and love never fails. He goes on to say, love is all that you, uh, it's needed by all. And I created you to love and to be loved. Some of us have a real easy time loving, but we have a real hard time when it comes back around. We don't know how to receive that. He said, but sin in this world has caused a brokenness that even my people believe that I can't heal. It hurts when my people don't trust my word. It's more than my promise. It's my name. And I wanted to make sure that I understood what that meant. So uh, I immediately, he immediately actually led me to Jeremiah 33 two. And it says, uh, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed and established it, the Lord is his name. And then next he led me to Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And then he led me to Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Now I'm getting really excited. And then he led me to Revelation 11:13. He is clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's just one of the ways that the Lord speaks to you. Lay your agenda aside, and he will lead you through the Word. Because honest to God, I've been a Christian since 1980, 1990, sorry. And it still never ceases to amaze me how he can pull a scripture from Old Testament, one from Revelation, one from the Gospels, one from the Psalms, and they are all a beautiful ribbon that all say the same thing. It's a conversation that unfolds. By this time, my mouth is hanging open, and I didn't feel that I received the full revelation of what he was trying to talk about, about the whole name thing. So I went to the Bible dictionary, and I looked up name, and this is what I found. What does a name mean? A name means... A word by which a person or a thing is known. One's reputation or essential nature. A name is who you are. In the Old Testament, in the first century, you would often find God changing the names of people as he changed them. Uh, an example is Jacob. Jacob's name originally meant subplanter, farmer, and thief, which is exactly what Jacob was until the night he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And God said to him, your name is no longer Jacob. You're now called Israel. He also changed the name of Abraham. Abraham started out as Abram. Abram meant exalted father. Then he switched it to Abraham whenever he made him his covenant promise. He says, your name is now Abraham, which is father of many nations. So a name is a big deal to God. And I know nowadays we pick it according to, you know, what sounds trendy, what sounds cool, what sounds different, what sounds old-fashioned. But to God, a name is a character reference sort of thing. And his is the exact same. God's name and his word are absolutely synonymous with one another. And he went on to tell me, he said, my name is holy. It's pure. It's untainted. It's unshakable. It has been forever. And it is eternal. Nothing existed before 
my name. It is who I am. I am that I am. And who I will always be. God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end of all things. It all begins with my name. My name is unchangeable due to circumstances or of the opinions of man. And when he said that, my spirit just shook. He's unchangeable. It doesn't matter what we think. He is true to himself, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. He remains true to himself. He's faithful and true. Ah, It's in my heart where I hold you, each of you. And then he gave me a picture of a father holding a child so closely, protecting, nurturing, and speaking blessing over that child, just absolutely adoring that child. When was the last time you pictured God holding you close and adoring you? Some have never had that. Because when you think of father or dad, this is the last picture you get. We have many fathers that have never been fathered, so they don't know what they're doing, and it shows. But our God is different. And so then I asked, many have been so hurt, so hurt by their earthly father or fathers, and they just can't seem to trust or understand and believe that anything could be different, even with God Almighty as my father. I said, what do you have to say to them? And his response was, sing my name. And I sat there for a minute, and I'm like, sing your name. And then suddenly I was reminded of a song that God um, brings back to my spirit. In times when I'm getting overwhelmed and things seem completely out of control and I can't control anything and I don't know how anything's going to work out, it looks like everything's going to fall to pieces. This song keeps coming back to me, and it's called El Shaddai. And the words go, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Eliona Adonai. Age to age, you are still the same by the power of your name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Elkam Kanana Adonai. We will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. Why is this song so powerful? Because it speaks of his name. All of these words actually mean his name. So you're going to learn a little Hebrew here today. It's not even going to cost you anything. The word El, as in El Shaddai, El means God. And Shaddai is actually derived from the word that means breast, which means nourishment. So you have El Shaddai, the God of nourishment who supplies and who satisfies. The next one is Adonai. Adonai means Savior, Lord, or Lord, our Lord, all-powerful. And then there's Erkam Kanana, Adonai. Say that with me. Erkam, oh, a little better than that. Erkam, Kana, Adonai. Wonderful. You just spoke Hebrew and said, we will love you, O Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Just by singing a song. Now, I'm a very practical person, so I wanted to know, well, that sounds really nice, Lord, but what happens when we sing your name? (laughs) What happens? And he responded, I'm there in the midst of you. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm the fourth person in the fire with you. <laughs> Yesterday, as I was going over my notes, the Lord reminded me of Zechariah 13:9, which says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them. Isn't that amazing? God Almighty, who has the time to create the heavens and the earth and the sunsets and children and everything else, and he says, you call on my name, I stop everything I'm doing, and I'm there. 
That's amazing. That's a loving, attentive father. So when you call on his name, expect him to come. So then I asked, well, what happens when you're with us, Papa? And he said, you change. (laughs) Sometimes circumstances remain the same, but when I'm with you, you change. And that changes the outcome of the rest of everything else, which is quite amazing. I read a book once about the praying wife. Actually, the Lord had me read this book. He's got a great sense of humor. Don't ever think he doesn't. Because when he had me read the book called The Praying Wife, I was single. Not a date in sight. Hadn't dated in three years, and he's having me read the book on how to be a praying wife. I thought he was cruel. And I thought, okay, oh, I get it. You're teaching me how to whip my husband into shape when he does come, so I'll be ready. Okay, so... I get out this book, I'm all excited, I'm taking notes, and then I realize the entire book is about how to change me. I'm not saying anything about how to change the husband. Every prayer in that book goes with, Lord God, change me. And you know, that has become one of the most powerful prayers of my life. In times when you're dealing with people and you just can't get your head wrapped around them about how can they be the way they are, start praying that prayer, Lord God, change me, and you'll be surprised at what happens. So now my heart with him is wide open, and I ask him, how do we get back to you, Papa? Life is so crazy, and you just keep getting lost in the shuffle of everything. Again, like I said, I like practical things. It's wonderful to learn great theory and all these other things, and, but if you don't have anything to help you in your day-to-day walk, it makes it really difficult. So I wanted to know the bare bottoms. How do we get back to you? Because somehow I've gotten way over here. And when you're feeling separated from God, here's a little tip. It's you who wandered away, not him. He's still in the same spot you left him. And we just got to figure out how to come back. And that's what he's sharing with us today. How do we get back to you? And this is what he said. Read my word, for it is me. Trust my leading. This was a big one to him, and he made it very clear that it was a big one to him. Believe that you are forgiven. As I shared with the first congregation this morning, the Lord showed me that there was a person standing in a prison cell, and the, and the door was closed. But they didn't realize that the cell wasn't locked anymore. And that they could freely leave at any time, and there was not going to be one person there to stop them. But they were convinced that they had to remain in that cell because they couldn't forgive themselves. You are forgiven. And if God Almighty is not holding something against you that you've asked him to free you of, then what right do you have to hold on to it? You're free. Open up the cell and walk out. You're forgiven. He then told, love one another truly love befriend one another that's how I made you I made you for community help each other in your struggles and do not judge another is very clear on that one you have no idea of the wounds of their heart and how true that is when we're hurt we want mercy and grace from everybody that we encounter but when somebody else hurts us we want the wrath of God to fall on them We want their sins to be exposed. We want vengeance. And the Lord is saying, you know how you want me to treat you? 
That's how I want to treat them too. You have no idea of the wounds of their hearts. I shared earlier today that um, I pastored in the inner city for 11 years. And the first two years I was there, I did not like work at all. I hated it. And the reason being is I grew up in a family, Irish, and paints a picture right there. Uh, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of abuse, different things like that. And so when the Lord put me in the inner city, I'm surrounded by the entire lifestyle that I spent the last 10 years trying to escape at that point. And here he puts me there. I thought, you are just mean. But he wasn't mean. He was trying to heal the heart, my heart. Because when I looked at these people in the beginning, I judged them. I thought, you made your bed, you lie in it. You are obviously doing this stuff because you want to do this stuff. So why am I wasting my time trying to help you out? And then the Lord started to show me their hearts. I tell you, it broke my heart. You have no idea what some people have been through. Innocent people have been through. You have no idea how they got to where they are until you were willing to put your judgment aside and hear their story. It will break your heart and you will fall in love with them and want to do everything you can to help them, to help them to succeed. So don't judge. Celebrate life. Don't be afraid to live. One of the things the Lord showed me in the spirit was the recession in the United States is much different than the recession in Canada. Uh, You guys got hit much harder. And the Lord showed me that the effects that it had on the people in the natural and the physical and the financial has also happened to you in the spiritual. People are so afraid to start living again because they're waiting for the second shoe to drop. If one more bad thing goes wrong this week or this month or this year, we're going under. If I lose my job, we're done. We lose our house. We lose everything. And there's so many people living on that pinnacle of, I don't even want to breathe because somebody will find out I'm here and I'll be next. And somehow we're looking at God as if he's also the one pushing the envelope going, don't step out of line. Don't do anything crazy. Just keep your head low and you'll be fine. And yet God is saying, that's not how I created you to live. I want you to celebrate life and not the life that you're going to have five years from now. Celebrate the life you have right now. Even though a lot of things may be falling apart, when you seek him, he'll start to show you the things. Some of the things that are falling apart are things that just really needed to go. They were in the way but they were a security for us. So celebrate life. Enjoy one another and me. Spend time being in my presence for many troubles will disappear. And anybody who sits at the feet of the Lord will know that. You'll go in and you're just a little bag of stress. You spend time just sitting at his feet and by the time you're done, it's just like there's this refreshment that's come over you. And suddenly all those things that were critical somehow aren't so critical anymore. So there's so many benefits to just being in his presence. He takes care of you. He said, take risks. Not that will harm you, but that will cause you to grow and come alive. And it was so exciting because this is the scripture he gave me for this. Numbers 13, 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land. Uh, 
friend of mine, Mary Lutz, Dr. Mary Lutz, said, you know, there's a lot of football freakers here. If you put that in their terminology, they'll really get it. Imagine that you are a scout for the Buckeyes, and God has sent you out to find the next superstar. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. That's not a dull God. God's telling you, take risks. It's okay. Just do ones that aren't going to hurt you. The next one was explore new adventures with me. See what we can do together is greater than anything that you can do alone. Watchman Nee, who is a brilliant pastor of yesteryear, who was eons ahead of his time, said so many of the children of God are wasting their time doing things for God that he never asked you to do, trying to do it in your strength rather than God's strength and trying to tell God to bless it. And it just doesn't work that way. And we can't understand why we're tired and exhausted at the end of the week. How much of your life are you living in your own strength rather than in the strength of God? But here's the catch. You won't find that strength unless you're in his presence. But he has amazing adventures for us. And uh, there's so many stories I could tell you that of, of adventures that God has sent me on. I used to be so bad with directions that and terrified of being lost that if I walked around my own block backwards, I got lost. And I was terrified of being alone, terrified of being lost. And what did God do? He sent me on a two-month walk of faith through the United States by myself. I had no idea where I was going. He would give me little tips of where I was supposed to stop. Each day I had to get up, be in his word, and he would give me another clue of where I was supposed to go that day. He'd say, I want you to stand at that corner and wait because somebody's going to come and talk to you and give you a new clue. I'm in the hills of Tennessee. And here I am standing on a corner. And lo and behold... The Lord sends somebody to tell me where I'm going next. He is an amazing adventurer. He will excite you and thrill you and bring you to life in ways that you never possibly imagined. So explore. So then I asked him, is there anything else, Papa? And he said, yes. Be grateful. And trust that my love for you knows what's best. My timing is perfect and my heart is pure. Sometimes we doubt God. Or wonder why he did what he did. Or allowed things to happen. And some of those answers we may never get till we're in glory. We just have to trust him. By now my heart is wide open and I am just a puddle of mush in front of him. And I said, Papa, is there anything that we can do for you? And he said, yes. Worship me. Worship me with all of your heart and make a joyful sound. You received a love letter from your father this morning. And I'm going to ask Dusty and his team to come back up and lead us in some songs of worship. And I encourage you, open up your heart. Let your agenda slide just for the next 20 minutes even. Be in your father's presence. And let him love on you while you love on him. And you'll be amazed at what the outcome's going to be. There's some people here today that feel like they have been lost at sea. You don't even have a paddle in your boat. You don't know which way is shore. And you've cried out, God, where am I? God, where are you? Others feel like they're lost in a desert. Do I go left? Do I go right? Which way do I go? The Father showed us this morning how to find our way back to him. He's given you a compass and a map on how to find your way home. And since he's the one who gave it, he's going to be the one who's faithful to see it through. 
while the songs continue. If you need prayer or just need somebody to come alongside you and say, you know what, I'm lost. And even if God spoke to me today, I'm not even sure I would hear it or know it. But I encourage you to come up and myself and the prayer team will be up here to pray with you, to lift you up before the Father and help you find your way home. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.